Well, the 10-3 and three Cardinals came into <laughs> town angry today. I mean, after all, they're facing the uh, 1-11-1 and one Lions. The point spread is sky high. Of course, the cards are going to come in and dispatch of the Lions quick, fast, in a hurry. And, uh, Bill, as Lee Corso would say, not so fast, my not friend. Not so fast, my friend. Not at all. Not it at was all. a thorough. I mean that, a thorough victory. Anybody who watched that game today, Bill, the Lions were the better team today. Simply put, no ifs, ands, or buts. Both sides of the ball, they got the job done. They knock off the Cardinals 30-12 to today. Yeah, what a, what a statement by the Lions today. And as you said, it was no fluke. There was nothing gimmicky about it. It was in-your-face football. Um, they won the line of scrimmage. They converted when they had to. They stopped them when they had to. A um, couple key turnovers. And uh, that's how you win football games. And, and I, you know, people were going to say, well, that's the shock of the day and blah, blah, blah. Well, not in the NFL. I mean, the Lions, how many games went down to the last possession? Yep. How many one possession losses had they had where literally a player two changes those games? And then I, I think uh, and it was overlooked. I didn't hear anybody really referring much to it this past week. But when you look at the game Arizona played on Monday night, you know, they've been told all year they're the best team in the NFC. They're playing the Rams, you know, the preseason favorite in the NFC West. And so they got everything on a silver platter home game. The country's watching. The Rams had some injuries and COVID issues. And then the day of the game, the Rams lose two key players to COVID issues, uh, Jalen Ramsey and Higsby, the, the tight end. So the mindset of the Cardinals had to be, boy, this we're going to get this done. I mean, we're, we're going to not only clinch the playoff last Monday night, we're going we're gonna to look at home field here. And the Rams and Matthew Stafford took it to them. And then so they're they're flying cross country to play the, as you say, the one win Lions. And uh, as much as we've always said, hey, the Lions are paying their players, too. And those players are the best, you know, of a select group in the world. Um, but, you know, the Cardinals, I don't I don't know that any amount of coaching could have prepared them for the Lions team to play today because they played exceptionally well. Uh, the defense, I mean, just getting after Kyler Murray the way they mm -hmm. did, Bill. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's one thing. I was just talking to Chris Renwick about this. Uh, listen, it was a historically bad defense last year. There's mm -hmm. still a lot of work to be done, make no mistake about it. But watching this defense progress yeah. as it has this year, you have to give Brad Holmes and, and Coach Campbell and, and obviously Aaron Glenn a yeah. heck of a lot of credit to get this defense to where it's at right now. Look, it's a, it's not going to remind anybody of the monsters in the midway or anything no. like that, the doomsday, the steel curtain, but I'll tell you what, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good defense right now. I mean, they, they've had moments where they've been exceptional really. Um, and, and when you look at the patchwork defense that, that Aaron Glenn has had to put together, it's even more impressive. Um, if you go back to the three deep, at the beginning of the season and who played today. I mean, you might have 50% of the guys in there, maybe. Um, and it's, it's all about on game day. 
it's preparation, you know, through the off season, through training camp, through the preseason games, and then every every week during the season. And um, and Brad Holmes has got some guys off the street that he weren't even playing, you know, this entire season. And it just goes, you know, the the old adage that I have believed forever: there's guys on the street. They're going to help a win, help a team, help a team win a game. You know, some Sunday during the season. And uh, there were a couple with the Lions that did that today, no doubt. So hats off to them. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, you hear the, the naysayer saying, well, they lost the number one draft pick. You know what? You're in, the, you're in this business to win. Yep. And you can't put a – you can't quantify how good that win makes those players and how much it – it will it will serve and the equity they'll get from it moving forward um, along with the coaching staff and, and everybody within the organization. So that was a great win. I'm a firm believer in losses are going to come organically. They're either going to happen yeah. or they aren't. You, you can't help it along, uh, you know, on game day. And none of these guys, I've heard Lomas Brown say this 10,000 times. Not a one of these guys are thinking about draft picks. They're not thinking about April. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about what they have to do to beat the Cardinals, period, end of story. And uh, so I'm with you there. Of course, in a perfect world, it'd be great if the Lions had, you know, uh, the one pick and, and, you know, they, they got as high of a pick as they could from from the Rams and everything, but uh, don't tell these guys not to go out there and give everything no. they have because that doesn't line up with Dan Campbell's mentality either. No, I mean, think about what you just said. I mean, the contradiction there because the guys playing today at Ford Field for the Lions, they don't want to hear about any draft picks coming to take their jobs. And I think there's an interesting reality to how well the Lions have played in some of those losses and certainly in today's game this year because I don't know what the percentage is, Sean, but there's a number of guys on one-year one deals and they're, they're interviewing for a job every practice session and certainly every game. They're interviewing for that next contract. And, I mean, anybody in any profession can relate to that. Okay, I'm going to work tomorrow and if I don't do a good job, I may not go to work the next day. I might be done and not have a job on Tuesday. Well, that's how these guys approach it. Yeah. So not only are they trying to win today, but, you know, they're human. And and the Lions, because of the reality of the, the rebuild and just the roster transformation this year, there's a lot of them on one-year deals, short-term deals. So uh, that plays into it. That plays into it big time. And uh, the effort. Really, the effort's been impeccable all year. Yeah, all year. Can't can't complain about that. Lions get no. the job done by a score of thirty to twelve. Uh, letting you know what else is going on uh, right now, as we always do. In case you don't have a chance to see what's going on, the Packers are doing Packer things. Yeah. Uh, they have a thirty-one twenty-four lead at Baltimore right now, Aaron Rodgers. Well, he's doing Aaron Rodgers things. 23 of 31 for 268 yards and three touchdowns. The other late game, uh, just a few ticks remaining in this one. Uh, the Bengals have a 15 to 10 lead over the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos with a third and 24 from their own 
11. So the Broncos looking yeah. to move to, or excuse me, the Bengals looking to move to eight and six. Uh, Broncos would fall to seven and seven. So, uh, by the way, the other four o'clock game this afternoon, the Niners knock off the Falcons by a score of 31 to 13. Niners improved to eight and six tonight. Should be a good one. Saints and Buccaneers down in Tampa. And then, of course, the craziness, Bill, of the next couple of days. Yeah. Raiders Browns at five tomorrow. Vikings Bears at 815. And then we <laughs> roll with Tuesday games. Seahawks and Rams and the Washington football team and the Eagles. Such are the times that we're living in, Bill. And with everything going on with COVID, at least the national football game isn't losing games yet. Yeah, that's so true. And it's so important this time of year. And I, I got to believe in a very real way that uh, football fans across the country kind of like the idea that they're getting a couple games on Monday, a couple games on Tuesday, you know, we got Christmas games. I mean, I, I think uh, sometimes you back into things um, and I'm not saying that this is going to be, you know, the real deal moving forward with respect to, you know, Tuesday games and what have you. But last year, I believe was the first year ever that the uh, NFL played a game on every single day of the week. That's crazy. Because of, yeah, crazy. But um, I don't think uh, football fans are complaining too much. Maybe the fans in those cities that had their uh, travel disruptive, obviously, you can uh, empathize with them. But uh, football fans, you know, they have a couple to choose from the next couple of days, and that's a good thing. And, you know, if you're a fan of the NFL, you got to love this week because, to your point, not only do you – you have the Tuesday game, you have a day off, and then you have a Thursday game. Everybody gets Christmas Eve off, and then they're back at it uh, with games on Christmas Day and, of course, the 26th and the 27th. So yeah. uh, a good stretch if you're an NFL fan, no doubt about that. We're going to go down memory lane. There are two different Lion games, Bill, when you were working for the Lions, uh, one at home, one on the road, yeah. that happened to take place on Christmas Day. Yeah. Some also yeah. legendary games in the mm -hmm. past on Christmas Day. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Got to touch on the Division II champions as well in college football, the Ferris State Bulldogs, Tony Anise, and the Bulldogs get it done last night. So much to do. Glad you could join us on a Sunday night right here. It's Gridiron Wrap on 760 WJR. Well, as we were talking about just before we went uh, into the break and uh, our fine producer here tonight, Eric Dorch, tells us his wife is a Bulldog. Bill, congratulations to Ferris State getting it done in convincing fashion last night and winning the D2 championship. How awesome is that, Sean, for those Bulldogs? They, they were close a couple years ago, and uh, you talk about domination and just what a performance. And you know, perhaps the the story of all stories in college athletics this year, when you think about the 12-month reality that Jared Bernhardt had for Ferris State, coming in as the player of the year at Division I Maryland in college lacrosse, which we know is, is as tough a sport as there is. You talk about physical toughness, mental oh. toughness, you know, I mean, lacrosse is incredible. And then because he loves football and he hadn't played in five years, right? He comes in and does what he does for Ferris. I believe that there's a lot of uh, D1 with a transfer. I don't know how 
impacts lacrosse. But what he did is going to change a lot of recruiting approaches, not only, you know, at, at the at the Division One or Division Two football level, but NFL scouts are going to say, wow, let me see what he did. I mean, against the best competition in Division Two, and there's a lot of Division Two players in the NFL. It's all relative. And he dominated. I guess he looks like he's going to win the Division Two Heisman Award. And, you know, can, can those skills translate to the NFL? I mean, they obviously translated to uh, the best of Division Two football. And uh, what a great win. And again, Sean, it sort of underscores our our belief that Michigan's the, the capital of college football. We got a we got a champion on the other side of the state. You know, Bill, it's so funny. I'm so glad that you brought up the lacrosse aspect because when I got a chance to see him play this year, obviously doing the, the Wayne State games, yep. he looked like a pinball out there. I, I kid you, when guys hit him, he just he, he looked like a guy that was wow. playing lacrosse while he was playing football. He just he looked wow. like a pinball. He'd take a hit, it, he'd absorb it, he'd stay on his feet. A tough kid, no doubt about that. Yeah. And uh it's been very interesting to watch Ferris take this, you know, this step up. It's it's been a process, but Tony Anise uh, got it done. And uh, you know, in the last ten years, Wayne State, you know, they had their yep. run to get to the championship. Get, yep. I had a front row seat for it. Grand Valley has come close a couple times, but yep. nobody from the GLIAC has been able to right. to get there and win it in a while. And and Ferris State did that last night. Uh, just a, a great story. And you're right. Uh, Bill, just another reminder of how strong the game of football here is in our great state. Right. And how about uh, Coach Anise? He hadn't coached in college before, correct, Sean? Yeah. He was at Muskegon, yeah. the Big Red, and had a dominating program there. And it just underscores, and we've talked about this, um, coaching is coaching, no matter what the level. There's a lot of phenomenal coaches at the high school level and the small college, D3, D2, NAIA, obviously all the way up. So uh, if you can coach the game, you can coach the game. And for him to do what he did coming from the high school of, uh, ranks to uh, D2 and, and, and have the success he had at Ferris is just remarkable. You know, it's it's interesting, uh, Bill. I, I wanted to touch on another thing that we were talking about in the, in the last uh, uh, segment, excuse me, and I'm sure that you'll have a unique perspective about mm -hmm. it. So much has been said about the short week, you know, whether it be the Thanksgiving Day game, whether it be uh, Monday night, and a lot of players in particular complaining about the the Tuesday game this week and, and what an impact. Bill, in your years in the league, in particular, obviously here in Detroit, yeah. how much of a factor is that? You hear the players talk about it, but have you have you seen it? Sure, it's it's something that nobody wants to deal with. But have you seen teams affected adversely by it, or is it just more the we need that extra day to recoup? Here's where I have seen it play a, have an impact, but it's not what what you might think. I remember a Thanksgiving game. Uh, I forget what year it was. But Jeff Backus, who hadn't missed a start his entire career with the Lions, the game before Thanksgiving had an elbow. And if the game were on Sunday, he would have played. But he couldn't play on Thanksgiving, mm. despite him practically 
busting down the coach's door to get out there and play. What a warrior that man was. Um, so I've seen it where if the game was, you know, on Sunday and not Thursday night or not even Saturday, a player could have got back in time. But as far as playing on Thursday and even with the 17th game, um, I don't want to compare the USFL experience I had, you know, way back when to the NFL, but the USFL, we, we played 18 games and it was all relevant. It was all relative. Okay. Cause you know, you're, you're playing against, you know, the opponents that have the same schedule, if you will, you know, the same physicality issues, if you will, for the most part. So I remember a few years ago when the, the talk started about the, uh, about adding the 18th game or the 17th game. At one point the thought was we we would go just to 18 and then, and then it got cut back to 17. But I remember suggesting at a league meeting or talking to some league personnel, has there ever been a study done on those teams that make the playoffs, which, you know, was close to half the teams in the league and the propensity of injuries in the wild card round. Some teams play, you know, they don't get a week off other than the week before the Super Bowl. You know, they're they're finishing the regular season and playing four straight weeks, three straight weeks. And there really was no significant increase in the injuries. It wasn't dramatic at all. It didn't even it wasn't even an issue. So I think where it where it does potentially impact you is, you know, not getting guys back sure. for a game. Um, but I, I also think, and I'm sure the league looks at this you know, there's some ways to, you know, I, it would be, it would be wonderful if teams that played on Thursday night were off the week before. Yeah. Had their by the week before. I think that would be eminently fair and certainly speak to the safety issue, whether or not that's possible, you know, possible with the intricacies to the scheduling, I'm not sure, but I, I know that, you know, the, the, the bottom line to the, the question, Sean, I haven't seen it in a way that that would be alarming at all. Mm. Good stuff. By the way, uh, Bill, uh, just in the time we were talking, the Ravens didn't score one touchdown. They scored two touchdowns. And and for (laughs) the benefit of people out there that that just a few minutes ago, I told everybody out there uh, that, that the Packers were up 31 to 17. The Ravens scored with 453 left to make it 31, 24. Then Tyler Huntley, just ran one in with 42 seconds left. Bill, they went for two and failed. Oh, my God. It's the second time they That's did that. second time now. Oh we, we, we've been gosh. on the air both times. They oh went for two gosh. and they failed. So with 42 wow. seconds left, the Packers wow. have a 31-30 wow. lead over the Ravens. Wow. Mm. It looks like the, almost the same play. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Isn't that amazing? That yeah. is amazing. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. So we'll wait and see how that plays out. Um, yeah. yeah. Things that we're going to talk about, we are going to talk about some uh, Christmas memories and, and Bill, right. you can correct me if I'm wrong. There have only been two Lions games on Christmas, right? Am That's I, am my I, recollection. I believe yeah, you're right. Yep. And yep. I, you know, it's, it's funny. We, both remember them. We, we remember yeah. them for different reasons. Yeah. One happened before I was even in the business, but there's a special story behind that that uh, we'll share. And uh, <laughs> yeah. the 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 cool thing about uh, the the 
the league on Christmas Day. Boy, you remember those games. At least oh, I yeah. do. I tend yeah. to remember the games that are on Christmas Day because right. it's always kind of centered around the Christmas dinner no doubt. as well. But uh, yeah. we'll go down the memory lane, talk about the two Lions games. And, uh, Bill, some other games that might have uh, a particular meaning to you or I yeah. for different reasons. I I went into a fantasy football championship dinner uh, dance one time, right in the middle of Christmas <laughs> dinner. And uh, it, it's funny. It was 17 years ago, and my, my family still – mocks me for it we'll get into that as well he's bill keenis i'm sean belegian so glad you could join us it's sunday night right here on 760 wjr you know bill and i um we're old timers okay i, I mean the memory goes back a long time and everything and one of the things we were talking about uh during the break and i'm sure many of you will remember this really not that long ago bill the nfl always ended concluding its before Christmas, and right. it was interesting because I, I there was one year that popped into my mind as we were having the conversation, and I had to go and double check. The strike year was the yes. only, it, that was the only time because I right. remember playing as day watching games like after the after January first, going, "This is weird. Yeah. This is regular season football yeah. that was happening." And, and of course, that was because the strike in '82, but. Yeah, the, the, the regular season was always over before Christmas. It was, Sean. It was always over before Christmas. And that's why you, you don't have many Christmas Day game memories. But the, the one, uh, you know, little note about the 82 season. The 82 season was going to end on December 26th. But because of the strike, we, the league added an extra game. So the league added a game that had been postponed during the regular season. So we played the final regular season game, which was only the ninth game of the year. There were only nine regular season games played that year in January. Um, but uh, as you said, you're right. The uh, the regular season, and the reason why, the reason why, as I recall, during that '82 season, you know, the strike, you know, uh, you know, aside from the strike that the, the games were going to end on the 26th had to do with when New Year's Day was and the bowl games. That's where it, when the big four were all on New Year's Day. And it was a it was a TV issue. It was a broadcasting issue. And I think, quite frankly, the NFL acquiesced to some, you know, requests to try to, you know, allow the college bowl games to maintain their, you know, their prominence that they had back then, especially the big four on uh, on New Year's Day. A guy that we talked about uh, a few weeks back as being an underrated coach. When you talk about great coaches, of course, that strike year, Joe Gibbs and the Redskins. Yeah. I think you have a little familiarity with that. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah pretty that... special team, that 82 team. And yeah. the, th the thing I remember about that run is, is you always think about Riggins running the Super Bowl. Yeah. But that image of RFK Stadium, uh, the NFC Championship game against the Cowboys, yeah. And literally, the stadium was rocking. It would, I mean, it, I remember no. as a kid, it was like, that must be the most unsafe, but you could literally see the <laughs> yeah. stands rocking. It was phenomenal. Yeah, that's no, uh, that's true, Sean. And those were the seats that were portable for baseball because the mm -hmm. Washington Senators used to play there. So those are the seats that were essentially on steel wheels, railroad tracks, if you will. And they would reconfigure the stadium for football. And they were rocking. And that stadium, 
RFK only held only held fifty five thousand. It was fifty five thousand and forty five. It was mm-hmm. sold out forever in a day, and uh, the noise that those fans made was unbelievable and i always would look at those old baseball stadiums because in the upper deck most of them from that era you know they had you know the roof at the upper deck came over the seating you know to and i believe that just reverberated the sound back onto the field and rfk was like that in some respects where a lot of the upper deck uh seats were covered and the noise was just amazing but but that year um was the year that we won the Super Bowl in Washington. And part of my PR duties was to advance the games. And back then, it was a different media world, a different reality to how you publicize the games. But somebody from the PR department, and I had that duty with Washington, would go to the, if we were on the road, I would go to that that city, usually on a Tuesday, sometimes on a Wednesday, but primarily on Tuesday, and go to all the, the main newspapers in town, go to all the TV stations, carrying a big, you know, sort of luggage full of tape highlights, if you will, you know, go to the radio stations, try to line up interviews. I mean, literally trying to sell tickets and publicize the game. So as, as our season, you know, we had only had one loss during a regular season, and I was the main advanced guy, and I loved it. I mean, I, I had a a role with the team that I cherished and I knew I, I had a part in, in the, in the team. And, uh, I didn't really even think twice about the reality that I was going to be away for Christmas the first time in my life. Cause I, we played on the 26th. So I would be down there for Christmas Eve and Christmas day. The team would come in on the 25th Christmas day and then play on the 26th. So, and we always had a traditional, Italian Christmas Eve Mm. and you know my grandmother my mom my uncles would cook all the fishes and so it was just a big family celebration and this was going to be my first one not there and I was I mean I wanted to be there in my role with Washington but I was still gosh I'm going to miss my family blah 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 so I called my counterpart um from the Saints and great guy his name was Greg Suit and I said, Greg, I'm, I don't want to sit in my hotel room on Christmas Eve. I'm going to be in the, at the Marriott in the French Quarter. I want to do something. Do you guys have any relationships with Children's Hospital where I can dress up as Santa? I literally wanted to do that. I had done that a couple times in high school, sort of as a spoof, and I loved it. So, you know, long, long story short, what Greg put together was a, a visit that I would go on with him and check this out, Sean, Kenny, the snake stabler. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and George Rogers. Superman. Yeah. Yeah. Who can forget? And and so we, we went to these hospitals, to the, to the, um, the wings for the, for the kids and the saints got a bunch of toys together. We sang Christmas carols, you know, and, it ended up being one of the best Christmas Eves I ever had. I never could have imagined that. But when you walked into those wards and those kids literally, Sean, didn't have anybody mm. that was visiting them on Christmas Eve. I mean, it was gut-wrenching. It was heartbreaking. And, you know, certainly when they saw the snake and, and George and the, and the, there might have been another Saints player there as well. 
um, you know, they just lit up and we gave them toys and what have you. Um, so it turned out to be, like I said, a phenomenal Christmas Eve. One I, I to this day, count as one of my greatest memories. So then the next morning, the team's coming in Christmas Day, probably around 2 o'clock or so. So I want to go to church. I want to go to the, the earliest mass I can in the French Quarter, right? So there's a big cathedral, old church in the French Quarter. And I talked to the hotel concierge about where it is and what time I should head down. So I think it was a 6 a.m. mass, maybe a 7 a.m. service. So I leave the hotel. And being in New Orleans on Christmas morning was weird because it was 55, 60 degrees. Sure, you sure. know. And I'm walking through the French Quarter. And as I'm stepping over literally homeless people the contrast to that and there were so many people literally sleeping on the sidewalks and you hear the bells of all the churches ringing and it was such an emotional contrast it's like wow look at this picture look at this and and i you know i'm sure the numbers probably gotten a little exaggerated over the years but i easily saw 30 to 40 people that were still asleep when i was walking to church wow you know so i get into the to the cathedral and it was a beautiful service you know glorious old church and then and then somehow is this fitting i don't know but it sure makes for a good story as we're exiting the church there's all these policemen and police cars well the collection baskets got ripped off they, oh. they, they, they took them as i found out you know they took them all to the back of the church where the ushers were counting them and a couple guys with guns came in and stole all the money so sort of you know like well it's new orleans i it guess is new orleans yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah quite a memory we won the game which was most important and uh that and is then, great yeah it was it was pretty cool you're gonna have to tell me about this italian uh christmas eve too oh, yeah. is, is it the Calamari. whole fish thing is yeah, that is ca- it- yeah my my uncle anthony used to make the best calamari and the yeah. sauces and oh my gosh and uh it's it's an t- italian tradition and uh i'm not sure that they have to be seven you know specific fishes yeah just have just need to be seven different ones so oh that's great yeah really yeah. a neat neat deal that's such a special night i i think yeah. like so many families it's such a special night in, in my family as well and one of the things bill that I, we don't know quite how it happened it just did somehow some way christmas eve dinner ended up at my house and it stayed at my house for the last 17 years. And wow. I'm not complaining. I, I love, I'm sure you know this. I, I love to, I love yeah. to smoke food and I, I love to, yeah. to, to cook and everything. But uh, we were actually talking about it as a family. You're we like, how did it start? I don't know. It just did. Yeah. Like everybody's just, everybody comes <laughs> over my house and oh. uh, you know, and it, it's funny. Sometimes, sometimes we have 40 people here. Sometimes we have 20 people here, but yeah. It's always at it's our beautiful. House. Yeah, great, it is. That's it's, a great so thing. It's, I, I always, I love to hear what other people do. And yeah. uh, the, the seven fish thing has always yeah. intrigued me to when, be sure. When we were real young, uh, when I was in grade school and even younger, one of my uncles, my uncle Joe would dress up as Santa and, you know, and nobody missed him. I mean, he'd show up and then he'd disappear. Then all of a sudden you'd hear something outside. You know, oh, <laughs> and nobody was wiser to it. But uh, it just it just made for great childhood memories for sure. No doubt, no doubt about it. And certainly, before we're out of here, wish yeah. you, Bill, 
Uh, your whole clan, you and yours, everybody out there, have a wonderful Christmas. This Amen. is such a Absolutely. special, special week. And uh, for those of us with faith, uh, it, it means yeah. the world it to means, us. It There's sure no does. doubt about that. Yeah. I will Amen talk about those that. Lions games when we come back. Some right. different Christmas Day memories yeah. as well. Don't you go anywhere. Final segment yeah. of the show right here on 760 WJR. Well, about nine minutes left in, in this, uh, Bill. I, I know one of the games that uh, sticks out in a lot of people's memory on uh, Christmas Day. Uh, my dad told me stories of it, but that uh, infamous Kansas City Chief Miami Dolphin game. Was it 71? If I'm yeah. not mistaken, 71. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that my, I remember my dad telling me the game just kept going and going yeah. and going. And uh, you have some yeah. memories of that one, huh? I, I do. I just remember thinking it was so cool that, um, that, uh, the NFL or the AFL, they were, you know, the AF, AFC teams, AFL teams were playing a playoff game on Christmas Day. What a better, better, you know, way to spend part of your Christmas. And then the game became the longest game in history with overtime. And the game, as, as we started talking about it, and I said, oh, the Ed, Ed Podolak game. And Ed Podolak was a running back for the, uh, for the Chiefs. And he had one of the, you know, the most you know, famous games uh, any player had had up to that point. He had, he had two touchdowns rushing. He had uh, 85 yards rushing, 110 yards receiving. And then he had 154 yards in kick returns, um, including a 78 yarder. And, uh, and he kept the Chiefs in that game. It was like whenever they needed to play, Ed Podolak made the play. Now, um, for all our Detroit fans from that era uh, listening, guess who kicked the winning field goal? Carol, right? Yes, sir. Carol. Very good, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, you're a good boy this Christmas. Garo, you premium. Yeah, kicked uh, 27-24, I think, was the final. But um, – yeah, what a game. What a game. Yeah. You know, yeah. I know you were down there, Bill. Uh the the Miami uh game, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. The Lions traveled down to Miami yeah. uh to take on the Dolphins that day. And I remember that one because it was I think it was the first Christmas where both our sets of parents kind of sat back and said, All right, this is serious. This Sean Kristen yeah. Kristen Sean thing is kind of serious. And we went to dinner over her house and her mom grew up in a family where they didn't have the television on. And somehow I, um, (laughs) I talked her into leaving the television on so I could watch the lions that day. And and thus began a back and forth about that. That continues to this very day. I'm not going to lie. We have fun with it, but uh, lions lose down in Miami that night, Bill. I'm sure you have some memories of that. I do. That was a, a ESPN game. Mm-hmm. I think it was the only game on, on TV on Christmas day. And the week before we had beaten the Vikings to keep our playoff hopes alive and going into that game in Miami, Barry uh, needed like 180 yards to get to 2000. Okay. That was really the first foray he had with 2000 yards. So uh, what I did um, and there might've been one or two other people that knew about it. I had this Christmas dream, if you will, of us winning the game. And this would not have happened if we hadn't won the game. We winning the game and Barry getting 2000 yards. 
and I had T-shirts made up. And the idea, the hope was that at the end of the game, <laughs> you know, with, with the coaches, with Wayne's approval, of course, Wayne knew about it. Uh, if we had the game in hand and Barry got the 2,000 yards, uh, we were going to pass out the T-shirts and the players were wearing And the T-shirt said, Barry Christmas, 2,000 yards, playoffs, 1994. And uh, I still have a box of those somewhere. <laughs> the, 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 the other thing I remember about that game is the producer for that game, Fred Gadelli, who's been a, a career long friend. He's now the producer for Sunday night football um, on NBC. Fred was producing and the open for that game was they filmed Gregory Hines, the tap dancer. They filmed his feet and they interspliced it with Barry's feet and it was fabulous. Wow. And so they went back and forth between Barry and, uh, and Gregory Hines. And uh, I talked to Fred, you know, periodically over, uh, recently. We always bring up that open. What a great open that was. The other uh, Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving Christmas Day game. This one was at the Pontiac Silverdome. And I remember, Bill, I, I was freezing that morning. I, I was a member of the media then, and I was doing a little radio show in the general vicinity of, of the Pontiac Silverdome that day. And I remember thinking to myself, the next time I think that Thanksgiving is cold, I'm going to remember today, but the Lions hosted the Broncos in 1999. Yes. I thing I remember about that game is sometimes you have a good game and sometimes you don't. And that was not a good game that day. That's what I remember uh, about that uh, Denver Bronco uh, victory over the Lions in 99. No, it wasn't. And uh, they came in and they had uh, the great offensive line coach, Alex Gibb, who had that unique blocking scheme. And it seemed like no matter who Denver put in the backfield, they were going to gain easily over 100 yards. And they're running back. They, they really – I think Brian Greasy was the quarterback that day. And uh, it was a four o'clock game. It was later in the day and, uh, and they beat us. And uh, we ended up finishing 500 that year, eight and eight, but we still made the playoffs only to lose uh, in Washington. I think that was the game we lost in Washington where we had a, a show of a backfield and, uh, and just didn't play well. But uh, yeah, that was not a, a very memorable Christmas, Christmas day game at all for, for Lions fans. Yeah, we're we're very lucky, Bill. We we have all those these Thanksgiving memories and a lot of good ones, but uh Christmas Day, not so much. Not no. not so much. And and we'll we'll leave it at that. Uh yeah. yeah, Bill, I remember the boy that night that that 99 team uh lost their last four games yeah. and then as you mentioned that game against Washington yeah. in the playoffs. Uh very yeah. frustrating. I uh, yeah. oh, go I, ahead, go I, ahead. We had lost um, a few years, remember the 90, what year was it? 95, when we went to Philadelphia and we're losing 35 to seven at halftime. Mm. That was the game where we, we almost made the guarantee <laughs> and we lost. So we're in Washington and they were winning, Sean, I think it was 27, nothing at halftime. And I'm, you know, walking in the hallway in the press box at halftime and somebody grabs me on the arm and he goes, Billy? is this Washington or Philadelphia? And it was L. Michaels because he oh. did both games. <laughs> and he was like, you know, deja vu. Yeah. Because it was, it was a similar similar type of game. I, yeah, I think we we scored one touchdown in that game, and it, it was on a blocked punt. I think Ron Rice scored on a blocked 
punt or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, not a not a good playoff result for for our Lions. I had to share a quick one with you. My family still jokes about it. I I broke out into an impromptu dance on Christmas Day, two thousand four, when Trent Green threw a touchdown to Tony Gonzalez because it wow. clinched our fantasy football league against a mutual friend of ours, Mike Stone. And oh, it was one of awesome. those things where it was, it, it was, it was like yeah. I had convinced myself I was going to lose. And then all of a sudden, all right, he hit Gonzo once. And then when he hit him again in the second quarter, I literally just jumped up and just started dancing around the table. And my, my family still have fun with that to this very yeah. day. And they told the kids, don't worry, he'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas to you and yours, buddy. You too, you too, Sean. Likewise. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, for Eric Dorch, Merry Christmas to you, my friend, and all of you out there. We'll talk to you next week right here on Gridiron Rap.